I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we continue our chronological treatment of the Gospels, and uh, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 31. The parallel passages are Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 27, and Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 28. In these verses, we see that Jesus is on Mount Olivet overlooking Jerusalem, and these events take place during the week preceding his crucifixion. Here's what you need to know about these passages. All three of these are records of Jesus' final teaching overlooking the temple prior to his crucifixion. Jesus answers questions posed to him by his disciples on issues of prophecy. The prophetic events outlined by Jesus in these chapters are given in chronological order. This fact is quite important in order to recognize the proper context for these events. Since, in my mind, a pre-tribulation rapture of the church is the most defensible prophetic view of the rapture and second coming, these comments will explain these passages in that context. I'll say that good men disagree on the timing of the rapture of the church with respect to when, exactly, believers will disappear from this earth in relation to the seven-year tribulation period. Every serious student of prophecy is typically able to make a strong case, well, at least in his own mind, as to why he holds his particular view. Volumes have been written in defense of each of these positions. Having studied those positions over the years, I remain convinced that the position espousing that Jesus will receive believers into heaven at the beginning of the seven-year period, as outlined in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, and 1 Corinthians 15:51-53 and that he'll finally return to earth to stay at the end of that period well i think that's the most explicable view now i've provided a prophecy timeline in the written notes of bibletrack.org uh, you might want to take a look at that for perspective for today's date the big question is asked jesus in Matthew 24 verses 1 through 3 paralleled by Mark 13, 1-4, and Luke 21, verses 5-7. through First, let's read Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now over to Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, 
Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign where all these things shall be fulfilled. Now over to Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 7. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what signs will there be when these things shall come to pass? All right. When one of his disciples here comments on the magnificent structure of Herod's temple, Jesus comments that these massive stones will be completely raised to the ground at some future date. Now, how could a guy let a comment like that go by without some further explanation? Peter, James, John, and Andrew then asked Jesus about the time frame for such an event. They expand the question to include all the prophetic milestones uh, about which Jesus had spoken during his ministry when they ask him in verse 3 of Matthew 24, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? While overlooking the temple, Jesus prophesies concerning those events. Matthew's record is the most comprehensive account of this discourse, extending his comments to include some details that Mark and Luke simply summarize. Here's an important key to keep in mind regarding this discourse. John later gives exhaustive prophetic detail regarding these very same events in chapters 6 through 20 of Revelation. Incidentally, because Jesus gives these comments while upon the Mount of Olives, it's commonly referred to by scholars as the Olivet Discourse. Historical fact gives us a little more context than the disciples had when Jesus spoke these words. In fact, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, and that was prophesied by Jesus in these verses. It's for that reason that the world realities explained in this passage, all the way down to Matthew 24:15 and also Mark 13:14 and Luke 21:20 that the realities may characterize activities at any time between the time Jesus issued these comments until the beginning of the second half of the tribulation period. Well, that being said, it's certain that these world realities will exist during the first half of the tribulation period. So now let's talk about that first three and a half years of the tribulation. We'll read Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. Mark thirteen five through thirteen and Luke twenty one eight through nineteen. Now Matthew twenty four four, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. 
Now over to Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when he shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak you, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause many to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now over to Luke chapter 21, verses 8 through 19. And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near, go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And the great earthquake shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist." And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends, and some of you they shall cause to put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. Well, as stated earlier, some of these indications, some of these indicators may precede the actual seven-year tribulation. But they certainly do characterize those first three and a half years. So to be clear, Jesus' characterization of this period is sequential, making Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14, paralleled by Mark 13, 5 through 13, and Luke 21, 8 through 19. It makes those a picture of life during the tribulation leading up to the midpoint of the seven-year period. The exact middle of the tribulation appears in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, also Mark 13, 14, and Luke 21, 20. We're going to see those passages in just a few moments. Thus, the seven-year tribulation is divided up into two distinct periods in prophetic scripture. That's the first three and a half years, and then the last three and a half years. The events prophesied by Jesus to take place in the first half are 
tumultuous. Well, they're quite tumultuous. But they are mild by comparison to those which are prophesied for the second half. Now, the beginning of the second half is marked by the man-students of prophecy generally referred to as the Antichrist, moving into the rebuilt temple and demanding that he be worshipped as God. Since that event is not marked in these passages until we get down to Matthew 24:15, Mark 13:14, and Luke 21:20, it's logical to assume that all of the events prior to these milestone verses take place either in the first half of the tribulation or perhaps some of them even before the rapture of the church altogether. All this passage tells us is that they take place prior to the second half of the tribulation. So here's what Jesus says will characterize this period, the first half of the seven-year tribulation. There will be false Christ, Christ being the word for Messiah, um, the Messiah being exactly who Jesus is. But there will be false messiahs. And there will be an unusually excessive number of wars. There will be unusual occurrences of natural phenomenon like famine, pestilence, and earthquakes. There will be increased persecution of the righteous leading up to the midpoint of the tribulation. There'll be an increase in the number of false prophets and the preaching of the kingdom message in the world. That's the message that the rule of the Messiah over the earth from the millennium forward is at hand. That will be preached during the first half of the tribulation. As I indicated, some of the events that we talked about here may take place prior to the rapture of the church, but not necessarily. What these passages do tell us for certain is that these will be the conditions that will exist during the first half of the tribulation. Now, Matthew twenty-four thirteen has been frequently misused by those looking for ammunition in their attempt to prove that one may lose one's salvation. One's salvation may not be lost. The notion that it can be lost flies in the face of the whole unconditional covenant theology that's clearly outlined in both Old and New Testament passages. Salvation is an unconditional covenant that God makes with each believer at the time when he trusts Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. The covenant cannot be broken. From that time forward, God deals with believers as his children. If you'd like more information on this special relationship between God and the believer, then look at the article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org, and it's entitled Trial versus Chastisement. Now, let's explain Matthew twenty four thirteen. It says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. First of all, understand that this is a tribulation period verse, spoken immediately before Jesus explains the abomination of desolation, which we know takes place at the halfway point of the tribulation. And that's seen in Matthew twenty four fifteen and Mark thirteen fourteen. That in itself removes it from applicability to spiritual salvation prior to the rapture of believers. But wait, there's more. In Mark's parallel of this passage, he leads into this verse with verse 10 that says, And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Matthew makes that statement in verse 2414. This is a direct reference to the 144,000 witnesses who are sealed by God during the tribulation period that takes place in Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 8 and Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 through 5. They are sealed for the purpose of evangelizing the world. In Luke's parallel to this passage in verse 21, 18, 
we see that Jesus makes it clear that he's talking about the physical salvation, as in the deliverance from physical death, of these 144,000 Jewish witnesses, when he says this, But there shall not an hair of your head perish. So you see, this verse has nothing whatsoever to do with spiritual salvation during the present dispensation of grace. To misuse it as such is to do disservice to scriptural context. And then we have the man that's frequently called the Antichrist in verses 15 to 31 of Matthew 24, verses 14 to 27 of Mark 13, and verses 20 to 28 of Luke chapter 21. First over to Matthew 24:15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountain. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will be eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now over to Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing, where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that is on the housetop not go down into his house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house, and let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days." And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, 
believe him not, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. And finally, in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter thereunto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck, in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Perhaps the clearest milestone in these passages is the appearance of the abomination of desolation. Matthew and Mark are even careful to specify that this event equates to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. That's a prophetic passage of Scripture that positively identifies the individual commonly referred to as the Antichrist. Really, he's known as the beast of Revelation chapter 13, just everybody calls him the Antichrist. It's in Daniel's prophecy, Daniel nine twenty four through 27, where we learn that this event marks the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. This man, commonly referred to as the Antichrist, will inhabit the most holy place of the temple. He's called the abomination of desolation for that very reason. And he will, at that time, pronounce himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us a detailed account of his activities in that regard at this particular point in time. Now notice these verses, Matthew 24, 16 to 20, Mark 14, 13 through 18, and Luke 21, verses 21 to 24. These take place immediately following the tribulation midpoint of the abomination of desolation activity that we just described in the preceding paragraph. The remnant of the righteous in Jerusalem are told to flee at this point into the wilderness. Now, many prophecy teachers feel strongly that the place to which they'll flee is a place called Basra that's found and described over in Micah chapter 2, verse 12. That's located in ancient Edom, which is modern-day Jordan. That's east of the Dead Sea in a mountainous region there. 
That position has great scriptural merit, as a matter of fact, and should be considered by serious students of prophecy as a likely scenario. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 declares this, For then shall be great tribulation. Revelation 7.14 also makes reference to this period, this last three and a half years of the tribulation, and calls it great tribulation. It's a period of intense, catastrophic, worldwide happenings. Notice what Luke tells us about this period in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, where he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. He points out that Jerusalem during the second half of the tribulation will be overcome with Gentile enemies. More is written by Paul concerning this in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Here's what he says there. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, Paul there is undoubtedly making reference to Jesus' comments right here. Based upon the chronology of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, compared to John's revelation, I'm quite confident with the position that the events of Revelation chapter 6 that they coincide with the first half events outlined here by Matthew, Mark, and Luke in this passage that we just read up through verse 15. I'm convinced that the second half of the tribulation, which begins with the abomination of desolation, that that's consistent with the events in Revelation that begin with chapter 8. Revelation 7, by the way, serves as a non-chronological overview summary. Now, if you'd like a better view of the chronology, then look at my notes in Revelation chapters 9 through 12. Uh, Click on that. It's one day's worth of reading, and you'll get a better perspective there. Um, By the way, read Revelation chapters 8 through 19, and there what you'll get is an exhaustive detail regarding these second-half cataclysmic events. Jesus just briefly summarizes them here. Now, if you'd like greater detail now regarding the events of the second half of the tribulation, then look at the written notes on Revelation chapters 9 through 12, and then also the section on Revelation chapter 13 through 16, and then finally Revelation chapters 17 through 19. Now, in uh, our reading in four days, we'll continue with this Olivet Discourse. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.